You're listening to the best of the Outdoor Line on Seattle Sports Station 710 and the Seattle Sports app. Why go to all the trouble of experiencing the great outdoors for yourself when you can listen to a few Northwest Outdoor experts yap about it? This is the Three Rivers Marine Outdoor Line with Tom Nelson and Joey Pyburn on Seattle Sports. The Outdoor Line is brought to you by Yamaha, Sportco Outdoor Emporium, Duckworth Boats, Roy Robinson RV, Kitsap Marina, Bob's Heating and Air Conditioning, Ray Marine, and Les Schwab Tires. Welcome to Hour 2 of the Outdoor Line, Seattle Sports Station 710 of the Seattle Sports app. Absolutely one of the most knowledgeable people that we will ever have the honor of having on a radio show. Um, you want it straight from the horse's mouth, from the horse's you-know-what, that would be me, right? Phil Anderson, former WDFW director. Uh, good morning, sir. Welcome to the show, and thank you for joining us. Good morning, Phil. Hey, good morning, Joey, and good morning, Tom. How are you guys sitting here on a beautiful, sunny day on, on the Pacific Ocean in Westport? Well, Westport is the pick of the pack right now. If you look at the uh, you look at the catch rates of all four ocean ports right now, Westport had the best average on Chinook. Eight hundred ninety anglers. anglers boating five hundred and sixty <laughs> Chinook. That's the best. That's the best on the coast right now. That's got to warm the cockles of a former WDFW director's heart, buddy. Well, it does, and uh, you know, I'm going to generalize here, but. Probably for the last decade, the opener in the, in late June and and the first couple of weeks of July have not been good here in Westport, and so this is this is one of the first strong openers we've had here in a long time, um, and guys are guys are running out ten twelve miles, uh, so they're not having to go a long ways. Um, fishing, as you as you said, has been great. A number, lots of Chinook. We kind of anticipated this was going to happen because the the commercial troll fishery has also had a a great uh, early start. They've reached their almost reached their uh, spring quota, and and uh, they've closed now. They were all all the way down to eleven fish uh, trip limit. But uh, (laughs) it's pretty exciting, and the weather's been been awesome as well. So it's a just been a great opportunity for the sport fishermen and folks fishing off private boats and charter boats to go out there and have some really good success. And the, and the fish, we, we're seeing a, a nicer grade of Chinook this year all over the place, everywhere, from southeast Alaska all the way down to the Columbia. We're just seeing, like, it's it's they're getting a little bigger. They're, they're well-fed. There's plenty of food out there for them. They look, uh, they look yeah, fat and sassy. Uh, I've seen... There was a, a dressed weight, 24-pound uh, uh, fish weighed in at the derby booth here, uh, I think, yesterday. I've seen a number of, you know, fish right around 20, um, and, of course, uh, quite a few in the 12 to 14-pound category. But really, as you say, really nice grade of fish. How do we get here? Um, is this are we seeing the the beginnings of all this increased hatchery production? Is this what we're can we count on this for the the next you know couple years going years. forward? I mean, what, what? Oh boy, isn't that the sixty four dollar question? For um, I'm certainly hopeful that you know the increase in in um, Chinook production coming from. 
the money uh, we've been getting through the Pacific Salmon Commission, that's kind of the place I've been spending my time on in terms of my using what, up whatever chips I have and with our federal delegation to try to get some additional funding. We've been averaging between 6 and $7 million a year here since 2019, adding, you know, almost 20 million releases from hatcheries in Puget Sound on the coast and the Columbia River, both fall and spring Chinook. Um, so it's been, it's been really cool to have uh, a, a getting a great reception from our congressional delegations, Alaska, Washington, Oregon, to help support the increased production. And, it, and by the way, all of that increased production is being done in a manner that's consistent with the, our hatchery genetic management plans that give us ESA coverage for our hatchery facilities. So uh, pretty. I know there's a lot of doom and gloom that folks focused on out there, but I think this is the, hopefully this is going to be a real success story, and uh, both augment the prey base for southern resident killer whales, which is its primary purpose. But at the same time, I think it's going to add uh, fish to the catch and and uh, success rates here for for our fisheries. So that's uh, really cool. And really, the bulk of this really won't find traction until next year, at least in some of these Puget Sound waters. So this this great news is set against the backdrop of uh, a Duval non-governmental organization that, for the purpose of this interview, will remain nameless, that is fighting your efforts. It is fighting um, increased hatchery releases and recently came very, very close to closing the Southeast Alaska Chinook troll fishery. Can can you give us the import, the impact of the Ninth Circuit Court decision that struck down this lawsuit, Phil, and, and, and where we're probably heading right now with, with regard to future litigation? Yeah, I can sure try, Tom. Um, so we have to be a little careful here before, you know, we start celebrating. Um, Absolutely. Because if, if you... So the biological opinion that they challenged is in association with the the uh, new agreement that we have under the Pacific Salmon Treaty, which was consummated in 2018. They're they're, based, they're generally 10-year agreements, and uh, uh, National Marine Fisheries Service consulted and did a biological opinion on the action. Uh, looking primarily at the federal, the, the federal nexus is the gel- delegation of authority to the state of Alaska to manage its fisheries in federal waters. So, um, two of the pieces, uh, there were there were really really three three pieces here. We had hat- increase in hatchery production. We, in addition to that, we have a Puget Sound Critical Stocks Hatchery Conservation Program. So, there's about three million in addition to the amount I mentioned that goes into the conservation hatchery programs on the Stilla Guamish Dungeness and South Fork of the Nooksack. Uh, and, um, and then the, uh, we also have about, we invested about $10 million a year in habitat restoration in Puget Sound. And uh, so what they, basically the, this organization came in and challenged the biological opinion on, uh, and asked in their, in for relief, they asked the Southeast Alaska Troll Fishery to be closed, and they asked um, for um, that they enjoin 
the implementation of the portion of that biop that pertains to the increase in hatchery production. So um, the, the, the issue went to the federal magistrate. The magistrate came out and recommended that, yes, close that fishery, stop the hatchery production, um, and then subsequently came out and, and uh, went, then the recommendation went to the district court. District court said yes to the stop the uh, fishery, but said no to the enjoin of the hatchery program. So they, based, they said that the district court uh, said that there would the, the, um, uh, the potential harm to listed salmon was so was small. And the harm, um, the potential benefits to the southern resident killer whales was significant. So uh, they ruled that that they would not enjoin that and and leave the hatchery production in place. So the next step then was the state of Alaska, followed by the the federal National Marine Fisheries Service. Um, they appealed to the Ninth Circuit reg- regarding the closure of the commercial troll fishery and ask them to enjoin that uh, until the issue can be fully vetted in the court. So what we have is the Ninth Circuit saying, no, we are not going to to implement this decision relative to the fishery until the case has been heard uh, in its entirety and we can rule whether or not um, that needs to happen. And at the same time, then this, uh, the third party organization came in and asked the Ninth Circuit to overrule the district court and stop the hatchery production. And the Ninth Cir- Circuit said, no, we are not going to do that. We're going to allow the, the hatchery production, the increase in hatchery production to stay in place. Um, and uh, basically said that uh, similar was that uh, the potential benefit to the southern resident killer whale outweighed the potential uh, and speculative uh, harm to listed salmonids. We're talking with former WDFW director Phil Anderson this morning. From our perspective, in the short term, people were kind of licking their chops selfishly saying, well, if they're not catching them in southeast Alaska because of the closure, the bigger issue is we do not want misguided non-governmental organizations managing our fisheries or our hatcheries. Yeah. And moreover this, I mean, people may have been licking their chops, but just remember if this can happen to the Southeast Alaska troll fishery, if they can close that because they think those removals harm Southern resident killer whales in a measurable way, they can do the same thing here. I mean, Absolutely. it would set a horrible precedent and put all of our fisheries at more risk than they already are. So, Especially if they shut down a commercial fishery like that, um, we're easy pickings as recreational anglers, you know? Um, oh, Joey, and, absolutely. I totally agree. Yeah. Yep. And so it's the trickle down. If they, if they get in, Tom and I talked to a lot of anglers, you know, and, and some of them don't want a troll fishery. They don't want commercial fisheries on our salmon stocks. They want those fish for them selfishly. But then we explain that to them. Yeah. That, Look, hey, if they chop the head off, 
we're down here further. We're getting chopped too. Well, I, I think the bigger issue too is now this this group from Duval did not get a payday. It, it, it seems to be their business model. And, and you've had more experience with this than anybody else, Phil. It, it's just they put you in a difficult position. They read the letter of the law of the ESA and find these little these little cracks in the ESA that allow them some, some litigation and, and, and some, some success that they've had. And I use the term success in quotes. And, uh, you know, we, we really need to start paying more attention to this stuff because if we don't watch what's going on in the courts, we won't watch what's going on in the end of our line. Yeah. So, Phil yeah, Anderson... Just take a look at the front page of the Seattle Times today. Uh, it, the front, the article on the front page of at least electronically, is all about fisheries and orcas, and it it asks the questions: Can both orca and fishing survive? And then it goes. The first line says: Fisheries up and down the West Coast are allocated fish for harvest. Um, to ensure sustainable populations, um, southern resident killer whales gets what gets what's left, oh, as if dude. to suggest that we have high harvest rates in saltwater. I mean, you can't count the stuff when, once they enter the river as prey base. The killer whales aren't going in there, but but it's just it just speaks to the misunderstanding we're managing our fisheries on. The weakest stock, we have very low harvest rates, and what's left is 80-plus percent of the fish. That's what's and, left of the killer whales. So, and we we have cut our fisheries, and you made the point on, this, on these airwaves a couple years ago. If recreational fishing cuts would solve this issue, we would have solved it long ago. Per, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, ha- it's habitat. It's habitat. It's ha- and if you don't have habitat, you compromise your habitat. We have to have hatcheries, and, yeah. and they're 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 a necessary oh, evil. Thing. We, yeah, that'd be another segment to talk about hatcheries, Boy, wouldn't it? Well, if we can get you on and do a weekly Uncle Phil drill, hey, right? Hey, you don't know? don't beat up, <laughs> don't beat up on Phil. <laughs> Phil Anderson, we're we're going to come out to Westport and fish on your boat. We're just going to show up. We're All not right. even going to wait for okay, an invitation. Just... Bring Larry Carpenter <laughs> with us. We're we're just okay. going to be you know deckhands and one passenger you know one of these. Days, well, it's so. sitting there waiting waiting for you to come. You just tell me when. All right, buddy. All right. Thank, thank you so right. much. Thanks, Appreciate man. your time. Happy Fourth of July, my friend. Yeah, you too. Thanks, guys. Right. Take care, Phil. Bye, Phil. Bye. All right, that's uh, that's from the horse's mouth. Man, and, and the, I the could listen to that asked. guy talk about this stuff for hours. I don't know that anybody has a better grasp on the subject matter than than that man and can speak to it so eloquently. But here's the deal, gang. If you know anybody that's supporting the Wild Cash Conservancy from Duval, you got they got to they got to knock it off. You gotta these, you gotta guys you are, gotta give them some information. These guys you know? are lost. They they want to end all fishing. They want to end all hatcheries. Mm-hmm. Anybody supporting these guys is 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 just absolutely cutting our own throat. You're listening to the best of the Outdoor Line in Seattle Sports Station 710 and the Seattle Sports app. You're listening to the best of the Outdoor Line in Seattle Sports Station 710. And the Seattle Sports app. Get in, sit down, hold on, and listen up. You're in the Renaissance Marine Group.com's wheelhouse, brought to you by Weldcraft, Duckworth, and Northwest Boats. Coming to us from his office at 78 East Broadway, Vancouver, British Columbia, PacificAngler.ca is the website. He is Jason Tanelli. Good morning, Jason. I've come to the conclusion that we don't have you on enough. 
All right. So, so I mean, I'm counting on a just an action pack right set. <laughs> <laughs> you, you always say that every time, but I appreciate that. All right. Well, I, I, this time I mean it, though. I definitely mean it. So we got we got a chance to catch up this week, and uh, you're starting to see your summertime opportunities uh, come to fruition. You know, a little forecast start kind of starting to start to take shape. But before yeah. we kind of dive into what's going on this summer, let's talk about the the winter Chinook fishery, the winter spring fishery you've got going on right now. Yeah, it's been another good year. You know, when I first started fishing for Winter Chinook in Vancouver, pushing on almost 20 years ago now, kind of felt a little bit more like steelheading. Lots of searching, looking for bait, looking for fish, and if you got a fish or two, uh, it was a good day, which is fun. I I enjoy that aspect of it. But the last five or six years, for sure, there's been a major shift. And uh, we're catching a lot of fish, a lot of small fish and a lot of legal size fish. And now it's like you almost expect to go get two, three, four. And we even, you know, had days where we limited out on six fish limits and stuff like that. So it's been awesome. It it seems like maybe a little better size fish this year. I mean, I've seen a bunch of picks from some guys up there. And and obviously we have a few of our, our buddies who are slipping across the border and going up there and fishing. I've seen just some really, really quality fish. Yeah, size is up there for sure. Um, there seems to be a lot of bait around. Um, and, you know, I mean, I've even gone back and hung out with some of the old-time guys who've literally been fishing our local waters, like, for 50 years, just trying to get a feel for it and being, you know, like, what was it like in the 70s? Were there this many fish? Were there this many big fish? And the answer is really no. Uh, so we're we're pretty excited to see a, a lot of these fish and and some big fish. So I think it has a lot to do with the bait. What are you seeing for bait? Is it obviously there's herring and there's candlefish, but what are you seeing more of one or the other? We're, we're predominantly herring up here for sure. But uh, one of the trends that's now sort of solidified is, are the anchovies. So they used to kind of periodically mm-hmm. pop up in and around Vancouver, house sound. And uh, we were kind of excited when we would see them, but they've been here consistently now. I think I want to say for about six years. And so depending on where we are, we're, we're going to see a mix of ha- mostly herring still, but there's definitely some huge bait balls of anchovies. So we're looking forward to the fish that that produces. We're talking with Jason Tonelli this morning. PacificAngler.ca is uh, his website coming out of, coming to us from Vancouver, British Columbia this morning. And, and, and Jason, you uh, you and I often talk about salmon management and how, you know, there's kind of two different strategies between British Columbia and Washington and how they don't always jibe. We've been fishing marks selectively for years. So when you told me that one of the industry's responses to the draconian Chinook closures that you guys have been suffering under was the fact that DFO spent a few million bucks on some clipping trailers – and yeah. you are actually looking at a mark selective opportunity for the first time in the history of your country in how sound potentially this spring. Yeah, it's big news and it's, it's definitely not a slam dunk yet. Um, of course, uh, the other, other user groups are actively trying to persuade the fisheries minister to not put this forward. Um, I do think personally, they're probably going to do it. We've been working on it for three or four years and there was a, a big shift this year. So we've been talking and pushing about mass marking and mark selective fishery with DFL for six years, really uh, citing the, the Washington model. And Washington managers have come up and done presentations and 
in Vancouver at Sports Fishing Institute banquets and stuff like that. Finally, the department came out with a position paper uh, this summer. And basically, the short version of it is we're doing this. We are going to start transitioning towards mass marking of Chinook. Um, we spent a couple million bucks. We got a few more of these marking trailers from the States. What that means, when and where, what hatcheries, and when, that's what they're figuring out this year. So they probably won't even do a lot of marking this spring. It'll be mostly 2024. Um, but there are areas already with sufficient mark rates that they're um, transitioning into some what they're calling pilot mark selective fisheries. And one of the proposed ones is House Sound, April 1st, to the end of May for one hatchery Chinook a day, which would be huge for us because right now we're shut down for Chinook fishing April 1st, August 31st. And my excitement in this is if we can reduce the exploitation rate and it can be demonstrated that through Mark Selective Fishing taking place in British Columbia, and we can demonstrate that there's a reduced exploitation rate on some of our constraining stocks, that this not only will help us get some of these stocks recovered and bounced back, but, you know, could potentially add to our opportunity down here because, you know, I I referred to your Chinook regulations as draconian. You know, we just went through a seven-day winter season in Marine Area 10, that's you know i mean it's just it's getting to the point where we have elk seasons that are longer than than winter fishing seasons well, right and, it, and it's been a, a few years since we've seen anything in marine area seven right and or six totally you know, shut like, down I mean, you know and go back a couple of years ago we had seven days for the entire year mm-hmm. fishing in marine area seven you know and wow. and no you know nobody wants to revisit that but it was it was two years ago dude you know but so so we're we're hoping to get some relief from some of this stuff. So what are what are some of the other bright spots? Tell us about the Fraser. We also you also mentioned to me that the Chilliwack Vetter, which is a very very popular destination for anglers from this neck of the woods, to, to pop over the border. Sounds like there's some hatchery uptick in production uh, going on in the Chilliwack Vetter. Yeah, there was definitely a, a major change out in the ocean, obviously because the Fraser numbers are in, and although they have a ways to go in some areas, overall it was. It's very, very exciting news. Um, I'm just actually looking at a special post I did if you, because I know that some of your listeners are going to want to check out these numbers. But if you go to VancouverSalmonFishing.ca, that's my saltwater guiding site. And there's something on there called the Guide Journal. As soon as you click on that, you're going to see something called um, like a special Chinook report. And that's where you can see the graphs for everything that I'm about to tell you because it's pretty cool. So there's been all this news about Fraser River stocks of concern, which has had a lot of regulation changes up here. But you can see all these fish, like the different age classes. So your spring 4-2, spring 5-2, summer 4-2, summer 5-2, just like vertical graphs coming on. Like here's a good example. Fraser summer 5-2 Chinook, one of the worst brood stock years in 1975, probably about 7,000 fish, uh, 26,000 fish came back. That's so, you know, awesome. you're seeing, yeah, and if you, and the interesting thing is, is if you look at all these different Chinook stocks, they're all, like, here's another one, um, the spring 5-2s coming off of, same thing, about six or 7,000, um, second or third worst brood stock here since 1975, back up to 22,000 fish. So, I mean, one year's not a trend, but... It does appear on many of these graphs, hopefully, that we've we've bottomed out. And it wasn't just a river here or there. It's all these age classes. It's all these different life histories. 
from the, the, the Chinook that go as far as they can up the Fraser all the way down to the Chinook that spot in the lower reaches. So that would be your Chilliwack better fish, uh, which were broodstock from the Harrison River. So those are your white springs and the Harrison and then your sure. Chilliwack better fish. So, so check this out. So those fish have sort of been in the 50,000 per year range on the Harrison. Not great. Uh, the escapement targets um, about 70. And this year we were like 83,000. You made escapement so, and then some. Yeah. yeah, and then some. So a big bump up. Now, on top of that, the Vetter Chilliwack hatchery a couple of years back um, has gone from production of a million smalts to two million smalts. Um, the southern resident killer whales do like to eat those big, fat white <laughs> springs. So they that when it was one of the only hatcheries in BC that really had any more capacity left. So that was another issue. But they did crank up the small production. We saw the jacks coming back last or two years ago. We saw the adults come back this past fall. And the fishing off the mouth of the Fraser was stellar because you had that bigger run on the Harrison fish. And then you also had the results of the 2 million production versus 1 million. So we had some pretty awesome fishing off the mouth of the Fraser last September for those white springs. So it was great. And we're hoping for another year just like this. So, uh, I, so you, that, that's some of that information is on Vancouver salmonfishing.ca. And is it in the yeah. in, in the special Chinook report column? Yeah, so that's okay. our saltwater guiding page, and there's okay. something called the guide journal, which is my blog. As soon as you click on the guide journal, you'll see it right away. It's a big it's a big blue background there. Gotcha. It says special Chinook Chinook report. Gotcha. Yeah, and, and you can see all the graphs, and those are all the DFO graphs. And and the the big story there is, you know, right from the April May early time Chinook and the summer Chinook into the fall Chinook, all the numbers are way up. And so that and, just tells you right off the hop you've had good ocean survival. And a ton of good information in in there. If you really want to geek out, this is the stuff you want to go look at. Look, can, can you talk a little bit about you know I, I know that a lot of our steelhead stocks from here all the way up to Southeast Alaska and, and, you know, that, that area that you and I've spent a bunch of time in up there on the Skeena and the Kispiox, the Bulkley, all that, they, they've been down. What's that looking like this year? Well, yeah. So, so this past fall, so the fall of 22, um, was a lot better than the year before. So if anyone was up there in 21, um, the numbers coming through the test sets, um, like the Taiyi index and stuff in the lower Skeena were like the worst ever. And anyone who was up there spay fishing or however they love to fish for steelhead, it was brutal. Uh, last year was way better. I don't want to say above average or anything like that, but it was, it was decent fishing. So people who were up there putting in a good effort were catching fish on the Balkley and, and some of the other famous tributaries. So, so that was good to see. And it kind of, I think, tied into, you know, overall ocean survival again. Like it doesn't seem to be uncommon that when the sockeye are doing well, the steelhead are doing well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that they all kind of feed offshore. Um, and you and I were talking about this the other day. So some of the Southeast Alaska sockeye returns were big. Skeena had a big return of sockeye. And then steelhead stocks were, were definitely up compared to off the lows. And then it seems locally like the winter steelhead fishing has been real solid too. Not sure what's going down there on the OP, but it seems like a, a pretty, pretty darn good year on the on the Vetter Chilliwack guys are are having great fishing there. So yeah, which is to see. which is really nice to see. Good to hear that. I, I may have to make my way up there. I spent quite a bit of time up there when I was 
younger, you know, going across, and, and they have a really great program there, some really beautiful hatchery fish. And then obviously as we move into March and April, you know, the, just some amazing wild steelhead in that river. Okay, you know, you, you called me out for not having you on more, all right? So I'm going to call you back, Jason Tonelli, okay? I, I had not seen uh, your your other site, the VancouverSalmonFishing.ca, and there is some. Now, now I know what I'm going to do with some of my afternoon. I'm going to go through some of those Fraser charts. and The important uh, Chinook yeah, report. The, that's it, the important Chinook report from Jason. That is, yeah. right, that is right up Nelly's alley. That's just Trust so, me, dude. That, yeah, is, that is speaking is, right, to, absolute right to his heart. wheelhouse stuff for me, man. There's no question about it. He's Jason. Yeah, it is yeah no doubt man it's gonna rain and blow today anyway so what the heck all right jason tonelli thank you for your time i sincerely appreciate it keep in touch my friend and and uh, any any breaking news let us know how that uh how that uh in mark selective uh fishery and how sound how that shakes out too because again i really think if our two countries get together and have a similar management strategy on both sides of the border it's going to benefit us both in the long run Yep, it's looking good long-term, and uh, looking forward to updating you guys on that soon. Thanks for having me on. Jason thanks Tonelli. Thanks Jason. Th- thanks, buddy. Talk to you soon. See you guys. You're listening to the best of the Outdoor Line on Seattle Sports Station 710 and the Seattle Sports app. You're listening to the best of the Outdoor Line on Seattle Sports Station 710 and the Seattle Sports app. Get in, sit down, hold on, and listen up. You're in the RenaissanceMarineGroup.com's wheelhouse, brought to you by Weldcraft, Duckworth, and Northwest Boats. Well, we are proud to have this next guy in our wheelhouse and on the Peregrine Lodge trip with us. He's uh, familiar to you as the play-by-play voice of your Seattle Seahawks, number 92 in your program, number one in your heart, none other than Dave Wyman. The passionate fisherman himself. Captain he's, Dave Cap, Wyman. Is it going to be Captain Dave Wyman? Hey, Dave. No, you're, Good you're Captain Tom. What's up? How are you? <laughs> we're, we're doing, we're still coming down off a of Haida Gwaii High, man. It was, uh, that was a wonderful trip, and I just can't thank you enough for joining us. Well, it was just, uh, I was just kind of one of those things that kind of changes your life, at least for a little while, because, man, it was just so beautiful, and, you know, there was, it was so much fun. And, you know, and really going up there with, you know, spending, uh, you know, four days with Reverend Brock Heward. I mean, it's just, you know, you, Maddie, Maddie and I and our experiences, which we'll get into. Uh, yeah, it was it was just one of those things that, yeah, like you come back feeling different and uh, and you kind of hope that it, it continues to last. I'm still on the high, though. It, and that's exactly the way I describe it too. But you know, I just want to thank all our listeners that, that came out. And, and you know, there was a very you know a couple special moments. And one of them was it started right off the trip before we even left the airport. You and I go park the cars, and here's Nils Peterson and Ronald Swick pre-functioning before they even got on the plane with it with 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 a pile of of. <laughs> of bush light cans behind the truck oh my god and and i mean there were so many classic people on that nils and ronald were, were among them and then of course you had to sign a jersey for ed davis and sue cranky you know it you had some yeah. of the listeners was, was brock running drills <laughs> I, I, I believe there was one center snap and one yeah. one one cadence called in there but just getting oh, yeah. just yeah. getting to meet some of those people there that uh that listen to your show listen to this show it, that 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 was a great part of the trip as well david yeah, it was. I mean, and again, the people, the people there at the lodge, first of all, were just fantastic. And, and, you know, when you go on vacation, to me, that's what makes it. We went to Bali a few years ago and I was like, why are we going to Bali? I don't want to go to Bali. The people were so sweet at the place that we were 
staying at that it really just made the whole trip and ended up keeping in touch with people. And same thing happened. Um, you know, Matt and I, uh, we kind of wore out the bartender a little bit. Really? Joel, Joel Zedek. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we did. And uh, I ended up exchanging numbers with him. I sent him a text. I mean, I'll be in touch with that guy probably the rest of my life. I mean, it, it just, we, we spent a lot of time with him. <laughs> <laughs> Too much time. <laughs> Yeah, but um, but yeah, the the people are what make it. And then, like you said, the guys, uh, everybody else that was on there uh, on the, the trip with us, especially Nils, because uh, in the very beginning, I thought, man, this guy, we might need to put him on a pitch count as far as words go. And uh, and then the more you get to know that guy, he is just a beauty, man. He was a gem. So uh, yeah, uh, the the people really made it, but. You know, and then also like uh, our guides, you know, uh, Braden and uh, Steve and Steve yeah. were just fantastic. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's where you start with that whole thing is just the people and, and your listeners are great, great people, Tom. And, you know, it just uh, it, that made the whole experience really go. And we haven't even talked about the fishing yet, which was Matthew's favorite part, right, Matt? The 30 King yeah. bite? Yeah, <laughs> sure. That was yeah. great or the, whatever. The, so, so Matthew and I fished together on the first day. You fished with, with Brock that day, and you guys were in just a steamer of a Chinook bite and each came back with, with, with a couple of Kings. Then the next day, you and David, you and Matt decided, you know what, we're going to fish the mid-morning bite. And so, uh, <laughs> you know, Brock and I headed out that day, and then you guys – um, was it leaving the dock at nine o'clock? Is is that how, how it, was the mid morning bite? How, how was that mid morning bite out there? We left closer to well, ten. <laughs> it, it was ten. Yeah. First of all, uh, second of all, uh, Matt and I were bound and determined to prove that you don't have to get up early just to catch fish. And uh, it wasn't, you know, quite as many. But like you said, Tom, the first day, um, you know, when I was on the boat with Brock, I mean, we were catching fish like you couldn't keep the bait on. And, you know, we're reeling them in and letting them go, but they were still good-sized fish. And actually, the next day when I went out with Maddie, I was like, damn, I wish I would have kept some of those from yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) Because we didn't quite have quite as much. Well, I did hear, though, that you you had kind of a single-action reel experience. And the reels we use up there are Islander reels, and they're single-action. If you reel a handle forward, line's going to come in. If you reel a handle backwards, line's going to go out. But if you reel really hard as a fish wants to run after you've already had the bead to the rod tip – you you may experience uh, a line failure on a twenty five pounder. Was that is that is that a fair characterization of your experience with a larger chinook next to the boat? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, and then I think one time I did, uh, I just lost track of where the bead was, and I <laughs> and I think that was with Brock, and the line did snap, and then I'm like, oh, I'm never going to hear the end of this. And <laughs> sure enough, I didn't. So, uh, but yeah, that well, was. Uh, those are all the things that we will we'll tune you up. Oh yeah. I mean I, I imagine you'll spend no less than fourteen, fifteen days with us in July. Uh you <laughs> yeah. know, now that you have the the Chinook bug. Um we do meet at the boat at about four fifteen in the morning. Yeah. And, and um, Dave's he's a morning person. Yeah. yeah. He'll, well, he'll, maybe. he'll become a morning person. <laughs> so do did you actually uh we, we talked about cooking that wonderful Pacific cod that you caught and we talked about did you actually uh get some get some salmon in the oven yesterday? Uh, I did it actually the day, not the day I got back the next day, though, sure. because, uh, yeah, I 
I got yelled at because I didn't get my fish in the freezer quick well, enough. He texted me the next day. I, I mean, I get home from the trip, and Matthew had to go to had to go back to Seattle because he's working the next day. And I'm like running from my truck to get it from the fish box into the freezer, right? And Wyman texts me the next day, "Hey, Nelly, do you think that fish is okay on my garage floor still today this afternoon?" And I'm like, "No, no, what are you doing?" So um, it, it it probably was a little soft. But uh, but I but I it's probably not ruined. But so so perfectly fine. Okay. So so how did how did your salmon taste? It was fantastic, and I had I think I had the the chinook, and um, I, real simple. I just uh, spray the bottom of a of a pan, plop it on there, and put lemon and uh, and like garlic salt on top. You can't go wrong. Bake it at a low temperature, and it was absolutely delicious. So good, and I don't know if it's just because, you know, I know that I caught it, and there you, you know, go. It, it all fresh. comes into there play. There you go. For that's, sure. That's yeah. that's that's the first step right there. Is you caught it, and it's some of the healthiest food that that, that you can eat, and now you're enjoying it and enjoying the flavor. So yeah, we're we're well, we're, we are looking forward to getting you on the boat. I, I hope that you can you can find it in your schedule to come do it with us next year, Dave, because. That, those trips, you know, and this is the second time that, that you've been up to Haida Gwaii. We've been up to Haida Gwaii together. And uh, it, it's just a wonderful place that you can hearken back to and, and, and just kind of keep that in your mind. And, and you just find yourself driving down I-5 and all of a sudden your mind's back in Haida Gwaii. But what a magical place yeah. Peregrine Lodge is. And, and, and you and Brock and, and the interactions we had with each other and the folks up there make it a magical experience. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, the people at Peregrine Lodge were fantastic. Oh, and uh, it was just, everything was just beautiful. Like the way I'm a big, you know, do my own lawn guy. And the way there, you know, the front of that place was manicured was unbelievable. It's like a golf course. And then, you know, the, the chopper ride in is so awesome. And I love that part of it. He got to ride you know, shotgun. Oh, Wyman yeah. was up yeah. front for the ride in. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that part, but, you know, I'm like, we drove, and then we got on a plane, and then we got on a helicopter, and then we got on a boat. It was just cool. And, you know, now you're out there fishing and uh, bringing fish in, everybody telling stories, and you just have a great group of listeners, as I mentioned. And, yeah, the whole thing was just a – it's one of the better trips I've ever taken. So you sit down in the morning and grab a breakfast, unless you shut the bar down. But then the dinners, <laughs> the, the, the food – what I mean, I got a picture of you and Matt standing there looking at the dessert table, oh, and my you're both gosh. you're both just lovingly frozen with indecision. But uh, <laughs> I, I don't I, I have not ha- I have not had the strength to step on the scale yet. But yeah. let, let's just say that you don't go up there and and go on a diet. That's that's not what this place is all about. Well, I'll tell you what, though, going out on the boat and when it's rocking and you're trying to keep your balance, and I, I was actually sore from that. Good. But, so you are getting some. I mean, at least, at least you're, you know, you're not just sitting around. Um, but yeah, the food was unbelievable. I mean, and there were so many choices, and you know, you uh, Matt and I were down there late, and uh, <laughs> they were they were making donuts and they were <laughs> making them by hand. And it smelled so good, you know. And when you've been at the bar and you smell donuts, <laughs> it smells especially good, especially good. But um, but yeah, I mean, even the donuts, and you know, you wake up the next day and there's like eight to ten different kinds of donuts, and you know, everything was made like from scratch. Yeah, those the 
the cooks, uh, the chefs, they're just geniuses up there. So, um, yeah, everything I ate was just delicious. So, yeah, that part of it was really good, too. And then, you know, you sit there and get to know people in the, in the big lodge. And, you know, it's just a, it's just a great experience. And I, I love that we're talking about it right now because it's bringing it all back for me. <laughs> and I'm starting to get more excited. Like, when are we going? So are, go are, are you now going to get to the point where you're going to smoke your cocktail glasses and wipe them with what, – what was that? What were those drinks he was making? Oh Matt, what, what was that? I want to say he called it the little, the little drummer boy because it was a rum drink. Um, and he said, yeah. rumpa pum pum. Like, <laughs> um, he would wipe the glass with a lemon wedge, um, burn that lemon wedge and sarsaparilla wood while he's mixing the rest of the drink. So it was just like coating the glass in this really amazing smoke. It's a great drink. Yeah, so he uh, he set things on fire at the bar. <laughs> and then, you know, he puts the glass over the top of it and lets the smoke get in. And, you know, and I'm like, at first you're going, oh, come on. That's not really going to do anything, is it? Whatever happened, it was delicious, man. I mean, I don't know how the smoke interacts with the the drink and all that, but um, it was incredible. So never, yeah, everything was just first class. Never underestimate the 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 impact of a talented passionate bartender at a Canadian yeah. salmon lodge yeah, that you right? fly in by a helicopter mm-hmm. it's 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 Peregrine Lodge PeregrineLodge.com. they still have some openings it is one of the one of my career best Chinook bites it couldn't get better every bait we put down for the two for the first two days got railed well and and yeah. we've just heard about everything else the food the yeah. lodging yeah. the bartender who makes all these crazy drinks. But the fishing, yeah, dude. I dude. mean, it, this year, and we'd said it before we, we, the trip. We knew we were going into it. Yeah, and, I mean, and, and it just and it's one of those rare things where you hear about it, but it's still happening when you get there. This was no, you should have been there yesterday. Deal. Oh, by the way, I got a forty pounder. Yeah, right. You know, yeah. and and so great trip, David. I can't thank you enough for your time. And 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 now I'm scared because now Matt's your board op in the afternoon. And you guys have kind of become a rotten combination. I, I you know, you're three nights in a row shutting down a bar. That's uh, well, I love hearing Dave's. Ex- you can tell he's excited about the the whole experience, the fishing experience. You know, um, so yeah. I, I'm I'm excited to get out and fish on the boat with you one of these days. Well, we'll we're going to figure out an afternoon, yeah. an afternoon bite, afternoon or evening yeah. bite, where you can you can bring your wonderful wife with you, and we'll pull some crab gear and send you home with some stuff. But Dave, thanks for coming again, and uh, hope you'll hope you come up and do the listener trip next year too, bud. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Tom. Um, and uh, to all your listeners, just uh, great people, and uh, and oh, you got to, you still got to incorporate that uh, segment we talked about. Oh, that Nils, Nils said uh, he said there were, he was at some experience where he said there was lots of hold my beer and watch this, <laughs> and I, so I was like that that's going to be uh, so yeah, that here's be something. Here's the deal: this guy had the lodge special in ten cases of Bush Light. What? Yeah. Yes, he's a very never, sp- he's a very passionate bushlight drinker. Yes, never saw him without a bushlight in his hand. On the seriously, on the flight in the parking lot, on the boat, never not had a bushlight in his hand. And then and yeah. then he goes, "Yeah, man, you need to watch this." I go, "That's it. That's it." So we're gonna get yeah. we're gonna end up with a sponsored segment with Bushlight 
Hold, watch this. Hold my beer. Sponsored yeah. by Bush Light. Yeah. Hold my beer and watch this. Yeah. Yeah. Don't don't you don't you and Bob steal that segment from me, dude? That's going to be one of our next uh, segments on the outdoor line. Dave Wyman, yeah. Wyman and Bob, Seahawk play by play, all around good guy, uh, number ninety two, and uh, don't hold it against him that he is from Stanford. So we'll, yeah. we're trying to work through that. You know, so. Thank- well, thanks for having me on, you guys. All right, thanks, David. Dave. Thank you so much, buddy. We'll talk right. to you soon. You take, take care, care buddy. Thanks for listening to the best of the Outdoor Line. If you missed any of the show, go to seattlesports.com or theoutdoorline.com. We're going to catch you live next week on the Outdoor Line, Seattle Sports Station 710 and the Seattle Sports app.